A random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter, what are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the Tin Cannon String, all the way on the West Coast, Best Coast, we are joined with one of the seven founders of Image Comics, Jim Valentino. Welcome back to the show, sir. Oh, thank you. Nice to be back. I don't even know, Jim, if I, if we've actually met, but I saw in some bio information that you're Bronx-born like myself. So, uh, yeah, we have something in common. Yeah, well, we left when I was about seven, so. Eddie, when did you leave Bronx? Wasn't I it around left, the same age? No, it was more like 12, and it was just to Bergen County, New Jersey. Which oh, exit? well, we moved to California. It's funny because every, like, Eddie, you just mentioned, you know, have you met Jim before? And it's funny because I know for a fact I have not met Jim. Jim is a part of my, he is literally the only person from Image, the uh, the founding fathers of Image that I have not met. And I've been wanting to make a trip to the West Coast to be able to partake in any kind of comical convention to meet you. Just, you know. Or, get, or get just do already. lunch. I mean, you know. It'd take uh, it'd take uh, less time for a Jim. I'm, I'll buy lunch. There you go. It's on, <laughs> it's on me, not literally, but yeah. Okay. I would make a terrible <laughs> like a plan. I would make a terrible table. I really yeah. would, but I digress. <clears throat> but uh, one of the things is, like I said, you know, the comic convention scene is absolutely crazy because, like, people like yourself, you're primarily on the West Coast. You do shows there. And it makes the whole convention thing kind of like got to collect them all. Like now you got to go all the way over here to meet this person because they may not go to the other side. You know, it's kind of cool to that element, you know? Yeah, I don't travel much anymore. I used to, but not anymore. So now you so know I, for sure. I used to do the East Coast and Europe and all that good stuff like everybody else. But So there would never be, like, let's say, hypothetically speaking, things got a little bit better in the world. There wasn't this thing called a pandemic going on. (laughs) Let's say, hypothetically speaking, would you ever consider New York Comic Con at least once? Probably not. What if I gave you a high five? Just because, um, well, you have to understand, I've been going to conventions at at San Diego um, since 1974. So that's before most comic fans were born. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's uh, just a matter of, yeah, I, yeah, I just don't do conventions anymore. What is it like seeing the evolution of the conventions from 74 to now, especially San Diego? Um, it's been interesting. Um, when San Diego started, it was very small and um, it was very intimate. I mean, you know, you could walk up and talk to Ray Bradbury or Julie Schwartz or or Jack Kirby or whomever, and it was it was very intimate, very very nice. And uh, of course, now it's it's completely different. But like everything else, you know, conventions have to evolve. And for all those people who think that, let's just take San Diego um, in specifically, 
that now it's all about science fiction or TV or movies or stuff like that. It was always about that. There was never a time when it was just comics. It was always about everything, encompassed everything. Marshak Kirby said that was that was his dream that it would all that would be all encompassing. Um, so it's always been that way. In uh, 1976, I think it was um, a guy named Charlie Lippincott showed up with a poster that was done by Howard Chaikin for this new movie that was coming out that nobody ever heard of it. And it came out in 1977. You can probably guess what that movie was. Ah, uh, yes, the made-for-TV movie Battlestar Galactica. That was it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the funniest thing, you mentioned that Star Wars poster. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, it was Star Wars. But that poster with Chaikin, I remember talking to Howard at a convention and he chastised me for liking that poster. He's like, no, it's a terrible design. You shouldn't like it. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, Howard, uh, yeah, Howard's great. But you know, I, I think what he doesn't get is that's part of people's childhood, and, and it means a lot to them. I mean, I, I brought up a copy, a, an old ragged copy that I have of Flash 123, and uh, I was working at Marvel Studios, and, and Carmine Infantino was there, and I brought it and asked him to sign it. And he looked at me and said, what the hell are you doing with this? <laughs> I was like, it's like one of my favorite comics from my childhood. So he signed it. <laughs> oh, okay, good ending. The funniest thing you mentioned, you know, you know, a uh, worn copy, a well-loved copy of a comic, I feel like those are the best ones to get signed by somebody because it shows how much of a... In, you know, emotional investment you had in the book. Yeah, I think if you ask almost any creator, uh, writer, artist, whatever, and you show them a dog-eared copy, they love it mm. because it, it tells them you've read it. You you love this book. You stuck it in your back pocket. It, it meant something to you. So I, I think that's true for pretty much every creator. And, like, you know, when it comes to the convention experience, you know, we kind of have conventions returning in theory. Like, you know, they we've seen one or two shows going on locally, at least on the uh, East Coast here. But, you know, it's whatever. But when it came to the conventions, when you were doing the conventions, when they when conventions truly were a thing, what was like one of your favorite experiences you had with a fan expressing their admiration of your work? Oh, no, I never had that. They, they threw like rotten produce at me and no. stuff. You know, it was awful. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I don't remember. They all sort of, they all sort of merge into one another after a while. Is it like the Bon Jovi thing of you've seen a million faces and you've rocked them all? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> Although thing. I don't know that, that, that reference, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Oh, that's Bon Jovi wanted dead or alive. My wife uh, would be, okay. would be hitting me upside the head if I didn't know that reference because she's a big fan. Oh, yeah. They, they That was one of the groups that just slid past me. Well, you know, it was the 80s. Eddie, who did the electric slide, though? Who did the... Marsha Griffiths. There we go. Thank you, Eddie. Okay. I, just, I needed, you know, that reference in there. <laughs> just the radio in me coming out. I mean, jeez. No, you're a person. Yeah, sorry. I'm a child of the 60s, so, yeah. Yeah, well, you know. I came along in the 60s, so I'm not too far behind. Anyway. <laughs> we, well, so you, you just mentioned now because I'm I'm like a sucker for like radio history. With you living in California, you know, as a child, did you listen to a little bit of a uh, KHJ? 
Oh, sure. KHJ was uh, the big radio station. You bet. I love hearing like stories from people and you know involving that station because uh, ever since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, utilizing that soundtrack and using the actual uh, what's his name Don Steele, like his uh, little uh, voice. The real tracks. Don Steele. Oh, so cool to hear that stuff. And like, if you go on YouTube, like people have been uploading actual episodes of those uh, shows of KHJ. Eddie, I'll send <laughs> a couple to you. They're really cool. All right. <laughs> but, God. Yeah, well, yeah, they called themselves Boss Radio. I think that was on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think they, they did that call sign. Yeah, that kind of answered the um, question of how Peter knew about California radio and stuff, because uh, having visited a couple of times, I have family there, but it was really twice that, no, sorry, three times. But on that third, that middle trip, actually, in the 90s, and I happened to be fortunate enough to go when the Oliver Stone movie, The Doors, came out. So I can ah. brag and say, hey, I saw this movie based on this California band opening weekend. And it was very cool to uh, to see that and stuff. But one of the big stations I remember being there was uh, K-Earth 101, which I think reflected or mirrored our own New York City WCBS-FM. Uh, I think K-Earth was oldies. Wasn't it oldies? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And it's, at the time, was what uh, CBS-FM was, was pretty much all about, too. It you know, evolved like a lot of things since then but i think that was a big one of the powerhouses in that la market area i'd be remiss also if i didn't mention k-rock you know k-rock is just well, k-rock came later there was ktla that was the i think it was ktla no that was the tv station oh christ i can't it was a long time ago yeah. <laughs> sure sure but it's it's so cool to be able to see a love of you know nostalgia and just you know the the retro sensibilities and seeing things like that and you know recently with the uh 30th anniversary of image and by the way congratulations to you guys about that oh thank you and you know for example this week over at uh image rob liefeld recently re-released uh profit number one and like did a facsimile edition and it's i want to see more of the other you know, Image Founding Fathers books get re-released. I want to see Shadowhawk number one come back just because. Because Shadowhawk rules. Like, there's there's something about that character that it's, it's a, you know, a mashup of Moon Knight and Batman with a little bit of uh, Vigilante stuck in there, too, you know? And just, there's something about, like, why wouldn't a character do that? Just, you know, with what the character of Shadowhawk did to the uh, the villains or the bad guys, to you know? To the bad guys? <laughs> It's it's such a cool thing, and like I said, you know, please, please do a facsimile edition of number one, please. Well, we're doing a, a brand new edition that will come out in August, uh, hopefully, if we're on time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And actually, I just um, scribbled out one of the covers just now, um, just before we called you guys. Um, but the book will be done by Philip Tan. And um, its actual title is going to be Who is Shadowhawk? And it may surprise you what happens. And by the way, you know, when we had mentioned about the facsimile editions and everything and mentioning Profit, I actually sent the man a message himself. I uh, told Rob that we're having you on, and he told me to tell you, tell him I love him and loved working with him at our studio and at Image. <laughs> well, that's nice of Rob. <laughs> yeah. Love him, too. It's, um, it's yeah. so cool to be able to see, though, a celebration of, you know, image comics, especially like the uh, what's the word? The uh, reexamining 
Image Comics in the very beginning and seeing a lot of these books and the impact overall that you guys had on the industry? Yeah, well, one of the things that we decided, I think almost from the start, as a matter of fact, I know from the, the actual start of it, um, and first, speaking of Rob, you know, Rob is the instigator of all this. Um, Rob was about 21 or 22 and, you know, was full of vinegar and uh, uh, he called um, Todd and Eric and I into joining him. Um, and it, it goes through all that in the timeline. But, uh, you know, one of the things that we decided was we were all going to kick off with superhero books. And the reason was, was that we saw all kinds of Marvel, especially superstars, go off and do their art projects and fail miserably. And we wanted to stand toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose with Marvel and DC. And we figured the best way to do that was to do what the fans wanted to see us do. I mean, you know, nobody was clamoring for a uh, Rob Liefeld romance comic, you know? I would, um, I'll be honest, I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's such a softy. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, so that, that was the whole thing. Now, some people have misconstrued that in the saying that we were a superhero company. No, no, we were a publishing company. We just wanted to start off strong. And it's with, you know, the whole thing of the birth of Image. And by the way, you mentioned the timeline. Tell the uh, ladies and gentlemen at home what the timeline is that you're referring to. Okay, what I did was um, I just published a book called The Official Image Comics Timeline. And what's in it is it goes through chronologically through Image's history. Um, It shows covers and and many other things and, and just goes through from where things started, which was actually in 1990 at San Diego Comic-Con, and to today, and actually the very last entry is of the Prophet facsimile, because it sort of brings everything full circle. Um, and it you know, goes through a whole bunch of other stuff, and hopefully there's, there's things in there that either you don't remember or you've never seen. Um, and I tried to stay as close to the fact as possible. When we started, I saved basically everything, posters, cards, uh, write-ups, interviews. I took contemporaneous notes of the uh, meetings, um, just all this stuff, you know, because I felt that image would be historically important. And it's so cool because, like, when you look at the things that Image has had over the you know these last few decades, it's a who's who in the realm of comics, and even you know who's who in terms of characters. Like you guys have had the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the Zeal line. You had Bone. You had so many different creator-owned characters. Grew the Wanderer, and it's yeah, it's insane to see that. But it shows the importance of what the Image name means to the overall history of comics. Yeah, and I think it shows um, that um, we were correct. We were correct in saying that creators should own their own creations. That uh, um, yeah, and and there's another thing that people seem to get confused about is that we were against work for hire. No, we never said that. Todd may have said it, but most of us didn't, and Image certainly didn't. 
um, we understood the necessity of it, and we understood that some people that that was where they were at. What we tried to do was um, emancipate ourselves, and through that, through the company, emancipate anyone who wanted it. And, and what that means is that you could do whatever you wanted to do. You didn't have to follow any rules or any dictums or anything. If you wanted to sell your company to D.C., great. If you wanted to start a toy company, okay. If you wanted to do your character until your hands fell off, fine. If you didn't, that's okay, too. You know, each creator's uh, head popped into my mind just now <laughs> with every single <laughs> one you said. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in regards to overall like you know you guys are also the home of so many creators that got their start at image and are responsible for changing not just the comic industry but pop culture you know there is that infamous pitch involving the walking dead with robert kirkman and the quote-unquote aliens that were going to show up but totally didn't <laughs> Could you tell the audience at home what he did with the aliens? Well, he pitched it at first as um, Night of the, the Living Dead. And I said, no, 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 Robert, come on, that, that's already been done. You can't do that. And, and I told him initially, zombie books don't sell. And they didn't. There's only one zombie book that's ever sold, and that was Walking Dead. Um then he pitched it as Planet of the Zombies. And I was like, oh, God, that's awful. <laughs> uh, I said, so I said, give me a hook. Give me something that I can grab onto and, and, and promote. Give me a hook. And so he called up Eric Stevenson and said, what the hell is he talking about? And he goes, well, give him a tagline. Give him, give him something that he can latch onto. And so Robert calls back and says, okay. It's an alien virus or invasion or whatever it was. And I went, oh, God. Jeez. Uh, I went, okay, I've never heard of that before, so please try to get out within five issues so we don't lose too much money on this. And the reason that I, I even accepted it was because I liked Robert so much. But he had a terrible track record up until that point. Just awful. Everything, nothing he did stuck. Um, and then this one finally did, which if he would have told me it's a story of a, of a man and his son trying to get through this insane world, I would have said do it immediately mm. because I'm real close to my son. What would you say is like the biggest bit of advice you would give to an aspiring comic creator who has the opportunity to pitch their idea? Like what things would you tell them should be the key things to mention? First, adhere to the guidelines. They're there for a reason. Okay. They, it says guidelines, but it really means this is what you should do. Um, guidelines is just a polite way of saying it. The reason is this editors and publishers really don't have time to look at unsolicited submissions. They do it very begrudgingly. And if they can, they pawn it off to somebody who's a bit lower on the echelon. So follow those guidelines. It's, it's really, really important. Second, make sure that you have a, a good idea, something original or an original take on something. 
Uh, Walking Dead is a great example. It's an original take on an old trope, and I think that's why it worked. It's also about people, so there's another thing, reason that it worked. Remember this. Don't, don't try to do an Urzat Superman, Batman, Wolverine. It's been done to death. Do, do something original. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't do superheroes. Superheroes, there, there have been many very original pitches of superheroes, you know, from, from power, uh, you know, everything in between. So again, you know, originality counts or an original take on something counts. Remember that good art will bring people to your book, but a good story will bring them back. Make sure it's of professional caliber. Look at what the publisher is offering, okay? If you want to do Spider-Man, don't pitch it to Boom. That, that's just not going to work. They don't do Spider-Man. So, you know, it's all those things. Really take a very serious look at your work and ask yourself first, is it a professional caliber? Now, Jim, I have, a, you know, off the cuff, I have a, a story idea I want to pitch to you. It's okay. called Superman, but he's evil. It's an original idea that I thought of the other day. And uh-huh. basically, it's Superman, but he's evil. What do you think? I like it. I like it. Very it cool. works. It's never well, been done before. The, I'll tell you the, the quickest and easiest sale, or one of them that, that I'd ever seen, was um, way back in the day, Craig Anderson, who was the editor of What If, right? And I, I had done a couple of What Ifs. And he later became editor of Guardians of the Galaxy and Silver Surfer. He, he had the cosmic office. Um, he was coming to visit. He was coming to Southern California. His folks lived out here at the time. And he was coming to visit the studio. Rob came in a couple of days before. I told him Craig was coming, you know, to visit the studio, and he, he should drop by and walk out to lunch. And Rob said, oh, I got an idea for what if. And I said, what? He goes, what if Wolverine was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I'm like, dude, tell that to Craig. That's awesome. So Craig comes in, and Rob's in the studio, and, and I go, hey, Rob's got a a what-if idea. And he goes, yeah, what? And Rob told him. And immediately, he just said, do it. That was it. All he had was the title. And it's funny because, you know, I remember Rob had talked about that in 2020, and it got me to reread the book, you know, for the first time in years. And that book holds up pretty damn well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does. And it, you know, it's funny because like the, the what if concept, you know, leads itself to so many different ideas and you look at, you know, the impact of a lot of those books, like what if uh, Jane Foster had possessed Thor's hammer? Well, Mm -hmm. one day something happened with that. Don't know when, but it sure did happen, you know? And then just, there's a well of ideas in there and you never know something could truly take off with that. And it's funny because... I've heard a lot of people talk in the past few years about the Nick Fury, I mean, not Nick Fury, the uh, Wolverine Shield uh, What If. That yeah. should have been its own series, to be completely honest. Like, that could have built into something, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think there was a little bit of possessiveness, understandably, with uh, Chris and, and uh, Mr. Byrne at the time. But, yeah, it could have, it could have become its own 
um, its own series. It's still good um, if they wanted to pursue it. I mean, let's be honest, you know, going back over to the Jane Foster Thor storyline, that happened back in the 1970s, and the character didn't get that done to her until maybe 2013 or 14, so... Yeah. There's still time, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, they have the characters, they can do whatever they want. Um, But yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, it's a great... I mean, it's the kind of thing where you immediately know... um, You immediately get an idea, and that's cool. There's another thing, uh, as far as advice to people understand the difference between a story and a plot okay the story is what happens the plot is how it happens that's the easiest way to go about it and one other thing in regards to you know pitching a story to somebody i i do legitimately have my own thing i'm not going to say on air what it is but one thing that you know i'd like the ability of is like how do you master the elevator pitch you know, real quick. I, well, what Stanley used to say is, if you can bring your pitch down to one sentence, you know your story. And if you can't, you don't. I like like the "What If Wolverine"? Just the title tells you the story. I got pitched an idea um, over in England when I was over there many years ago, and the idea was it's 15th century feudal Japan and the Vikings land. Boom. Um, I pitched to Tom DeFalco while I was doing the Guardians of the Galaxy. I never got around to doing it. But I said, I want to do the War of the Worlds, only instead of the Martians getting a virus from Earth, superheroes get a virus from the Martians, and they all die. I like that. Yeah. He went, yeah, sold. Boom. Do it. Unfortunately, image got in the way, but you know, <laughs> it's it's just so wild to be able to see all of these ideas come to fruition. And you know, one one comment I've made over the years is when you go to Comic Con, the next big you know titan of a property might be sitting there in Artist Alley, and you don't know it. Sure, sure. One thing, <clears throat> one thing I would say to anyone is is keep this in mind. The next big thing is always completely different from the last big thing. That's, yeah. Yeah, because otherwise it's not. It's something else, or it's just yeah. the, the same as what that big thing was. It's nothing outstanding or unique. Sure. When it came to, like, Walking Dead exploding, no one expected a zombie television show because that was not what people expected. Yeah. Yeah. And it took off like crazy. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, think about that. You know, when you're deciding your pitch, remember the last big thing is it's always different than the last thing. I remember a convention that, that uh, um, this guy showed up at, and he was real new. I think he only had three or four issues of, of his book, a little small independent book out. And um, everybody that I knew liked the book, thought the art was great, thought the story was charming, liked him. He was very personable. He was one of those people that that you meet, and it's like you've known him for five years. And everybody said, yeah, it's just too bad. But, you know, Bone will just never make it. The ironic part is, you know, I've always said this on the show, Bone is the comic that made me fall in love with comics. And that's, boy, that's understandable. 
Like, I remember reading that when uh, Disney Adventures magazine, of all things, was serializing, uh, you know, the issues in their yeah. uh, comic section. And that was what got me reading comics as a kid. And I wonder whatever happened with that. <laughs> Disney Adventures comics? Or... Oh, no, no. I mean my, my comic fandom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it goes after a while. <clears throat> Well, Jim, that's on the right track of what I was thinking. In your 30 years now with, with Image, are there other moments that you can think of that were either surprises, um, maybe something you didn't expect to do either very well or not do well at all? Anything come to mind there? Well, there were lots of surprises. I mean, some of it, particularly in the early days, we were bombarded by all this stuff. I mean, actually <laughs> seriously and i don't know what they were thinking but we had a meeting once where these guys were pitching us an amusement park i have so many ideas in mind with this <laughs> <laughs> we were all pretty gobsmacked you know we didn't know what to take you know how could you take this seriously really an amusement park i love the idea okay. of instead of mouse ears i have savage dragon fins <laughs> Just watch people walking around with, like, the green fin on their head. I, I, I yeah. would go to that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a spawn cape that everybody could trip over. Oh, um, nothing, nothing but chains. Nothing but chains. <laughs> nothing but chains, yeah. yeah kids love chains. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just... Which is what he was going to originally call his, uh, you know, he's done recently done this book with a bunch of spawns called The Scorched. And uh, he originally was going to call it the Chain Gang, and I thought that was a much better um, title. <laughs> See, I, I'm a fan of puns, and you know a pun has landed when you just hear me audibly groan. I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I really thought you were going to say that. Yeah, Tom wanted to call it Kids Love Chains. I'm like, yeah, I would read that book every month. Kids love chains. They all love chains. <laughs> This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice, or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And it's it's funny too because in regards to the explosion of image and you know the celebration, I feel like it's so damn appropriate that on the thirtieth anniversary of image, what is one of the biggest books at image? Donny Cates's crossover, which is a mm. love letter to independent comics and just <clears throat> the the art the art form of comics in general. Yeah. 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 And to me, Honestly, what's great about the, the the books in the 30th is that there's such a diversity of, of um, genres and stories and artwork and creators. 
um, that um, that that to me is is the greatest thing about it at 30 years. And I hope that continues. What do you feel, and excluding Walking Dead from this, what do you feel is the one book that was published by Image that you're shocked was like a big success? Like it did better than anyone expected it to. For me, it feels like saga sometimes. Like I, you would not expect it, but it makes perfect sense to explode, you know? Saga would not have been one of my choices because Brian K. Vaughn was so good. You know, I, I followed his stuff when he was at D.C. and just thought he was brilliant. And Fiona is just such a wonderful artist. I mean, she's just amazing. I mean, so I, that, that, uh, that didn't, didn't surprise me. Would you say, though, the one thing unexpected in regards to Saga would be the fact that the first time Saga saw a live action was in a Taco Bell commercial? Because I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, they did a, they did a Taco Bell commercial recently where the, uh, the male protagonist, the one with the horns, I forgot his name right now, but he's the... Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen that. that. That's what they were doing, Saga? That's, yeah, that's the, literally the first live action interpretation of Saga is in a Taco Bell commercial. And they were, like, cosplaying it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's technically huh. the first on-screen appearance. It's like, wow. They really did think huh. outside the bun. Wow. That, uh... <laughs> that went... That sailed right past me. Yeah, I but... didn't get the reference. Yeah, but Peter's so very proud that he, you know, said sailed outside the bun. Yeah. Peter, when you're editing this later on, please include the little bung of the Taco Bell thing. Oh, please, yes. Oh, I'm going to do it. But yeah, uh, back no, to... No, I don't know. I think <clears throat> more so than anything are the books that I thought were going to take off and then tanked. And uh, and that's always a bummer. You know, that, that really is a bummer. Because image is sales-based. So the way you make money is via your sales. And if your sales tank, um, the hope is is that you have a very understanding spouse and a really big jar of peanut butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, in regards to just the overall impact of the characters, especially of the founding fathers of Image, you know, seeing a Shadowhawk figure for the first time, I bet must have been an absolute thrill for you. Yeah, it was really cool i mean i think it was more of a thrill for my kids than it was for me <laughs> um because they were you know right age for it you know but, uh, um, but yeah it was very cool you know seeing the statues and the trait you know all the inferior you know was was pretty cool it was also cool to see you know uh the toys of, of spawn and and uh, all of rob's toys and ripclaw and you know just all of those characters it was it was cool now, I've asked this question uh, to Rob Liefeld in the past, and he's ignored the message, and he liked it on Facebook. I'm like, why would you just like it and not answer? I'm like, come on, Rob. But I digress. But my question to you is, when it comes to your character of Shadowhawk, what is it like seeing other artists? Like, What was it like the first time you saw someone that you greatly admired do their own version of Shadowhawk and seeing that character interpreted by one of your heroes? Well, that would have been... Um, on Youngblood number two, the the cover of Youngblood number two, where Rob drew it, um, so you know it was cool. I mean, I you know I loved it. I did a whole trading card set, 
um, and a book with a bunch of different artists doing their versions of Shadowhawk. And I said, just do whatever you want. Mm. You know, here's the character. Go to town. <laughs> I love that. Because, you know, the, the whole thing is, is if the character holds up, then it holds up. And think of all the no two artists have ever done Batman alike. You know, they just haven't. You know, think of Sam Keith's Batman against Jim Aparo's. Personally, I'm I'm a big fan of Kelly Jones's Batman just because of those gigantic ears that are like 45 feet high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and for hearing. me, my favorite my favorite Batman is Marshall Rogers. And you know, one thing you know on the topic of uh, Batman, but going back over to the question, you know, that I realized he the man has drawn every character pretty much. You know, Neil Adams has probably drawn Shadowhawk. Mm, not that I'm aware of. Okay, no. somebody's got to get him on the horn for that because I really want to see that now. Because, <laughs> like that, he would have so much fun, especially with you know the metal parts of the uh, the helmet kind of thing. You know, the little uh, the what are what are those things? The, the rivulets and stuff. Yes, I love those things. Yeah. Those are so friggin' cool. <laughs> like it's yeah. Well, so... what people get wrong about the armor is that it isn't steel; um, it's chrome. And the reason it's chrome is chrome is 100% reflective. So if you're in a dark alley and you're wearing chrome, nobody can see you. Huh. I yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like when you create a character, there's so many little details that I feel like that's that's another bit of advice, you know, aspiring creators should look into is like whatever small, minute details, because that's a small detail for Shadowhawk, but it's also a big thing about him. I like that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you look at it like an actor, you know, build your backstory to your character, get to know your character, get to know your story. And, you know, you asked earlier about how how do you bring it down to like one sentence? Well, that's how, you know, and you will, you'll be able to bring it down. And Jim, you mentioned the timeline earlier before, and that sounds kind of cool and give you more, the readers, the fans, more information that we might not have known about, characters that we either forgot about or, or didn't know to begin with. Um, anything else to expect this year with the 30th? Maybe more information, background on you and the other creators? I don't know. We've been, um, it doesn't look like we're going to make an appearance together this year. Not all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that mostly has to do with the, the pandemic and, uh, and that kind of stuff, which is unfortunate. But, you know, it's, it's affected everyone's life, not just ours. Um, we were, Eric Stevenson and I were talking about doing a big giant coffee table book similar to the Beatles anthology where we would take, we would edit um, bits of interviews throughout the years with the partners and we thought it'd be incredibly funny because everyone would contradict each other. So (laughs) so we thought that would be good. And, and, you know, the idea was that this book is the first run through of the timeline. And then we would find all the mistakes and all the stuff that was left out and correct it for the, uh, for the larger anthology book. Well, one one (laughs) thing, well, one thing that I'm really hoping happens, uh, you know, since you're friends with Rob, I would love to see you do like a spot on Rob Servations. I'm a big fan of Rob's podcast, and I feel like that would be a hell of an interview to listen to. 
Well, maybe, I guess. I mean, we could talk about old times. Um, one of the things is with the new Shadowhawk one-shot, um, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to redo, well, not redo, but republish the very first Shadowhawk cover that Rob inked over me, um, except this time instead of doing it embossed and in silver, it's going to be colored, which has never happened before. Oh. And uh, Eric Stevenson is going to color it. The funniest thing, though, in regards to, like, you know, the the quote-unquote gimmick covers of the time, I'm a sucker mm-hmm. for that stuff. I love that stuff. Like, I recently, I want to say last year, got my hands on the Shadowhawk trade, and it was the chromium stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I have to buy this. But, you know, like, just seeing that element, I love that era of comics because you get two treats in one. You get a phenomenal story with great art and you get, you know, this cool looking thing that makes you get your attention. And it's a lost art, but I loved it. Well, I tried to do something completely different than what everyone else was doing and use the elements in a unique way. And they were the only covers for the book. I mean, there weren't multiple covers with multiple gimmicks you know i didn't just change the logo cover or anything like that i would use um uh, embossing blind embossing die cutting uh silver uh, i think it was shadowhawk 2 number three the one with the fold up cover which i had to explain to the printers how to how to die cut it because mm. I, I showed it to them on a napkin we were out at dinner and i said this is what i want the next cover to do and they were all like I don't know how to do that. And I said, well, it's easy. You just do this. And I drew it for them. I feel like some of the um, best creative things are created on a cocktail napkin. Like you have, you know, stand-up yeah. routines, art, like anything. Great art comes out of a napkin. <laughs> well, you know who the greatest napkin artist in the world is? Is uh, Sergio Aragone. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, man. And it, one thing that I, by the way, when, you know, I had mentioned in the timeline, you know, how like, Sergio's grew as a part of the timeline when I had heard mm-hmm. initially because uh, I you know I'm friends with you on Facebook and I remember seeing the posts about this like a year ago I believe when you know you said hey I'm working on this I was like oh my god we're gonna have an event where it's gonna be all these characters meeting these you know different things I'm like it wasn't that but I'm also a geek for the uh the history of things I love reading things like you know the history of something but I admit I really would have loved to have seen like Bone Meat Sam and Twitch or like, you know, Gru the Wanderer meets Spawn. <laughs> <laughs> I know Gru and Bone and several other characters made um, cameo appearances in the Normal Man Megaton Man book. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. You know, but there's, there's somebody just asked me the other day, there's team ups that never happened, you know? Yeah. For one reason or another, we were going to do because we had the because Matt Groening and I had had the same attorney. We were going to do Shadowhawk meets The Simpsons, um, which we thought would be fun. <laughs> I have no idea how that could work, but I would love to read that. <laughs> I'm a big Simpsons well, guy, it, so yeah. It, it, Bart was going to be Shadowhawk's um, kid partner named Squirrel. And uh, the late, great Mike Perlbeck was going to draw it. Wow. Yeah. It's it's so random, but it works on so many levels. It was very weird. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, by the way, you know, going back over to Sergio, I would love to have seen Sergio draw Spawn. 
just to see, you know, how he could do. You know, he would draw like that that uh, chain insanely well and just you know in such a short amount of time like i would love to count how many seconds it takes him to draw the chains uh, well you know he does plan his stuff out and pencil it out and stuff <clears throat> um but yeah he's very fast um <clears throat> and he's exceptionally good and he's a great guy 100 percent. like i've been you know i recently uh because i know you you did one with them back in 2020 uh the, the interview with uh the cartoonist kayfabe guys and they just did one with sergio and Ah oh, man, just listening. I could listen to Sergio talk for hours too. Just my God, the stories he tells. Oh God, yeah. <clears throat> I introduced Jeff Smith to him many, many years ago, um, <clears throat> and we were going out to dinner. And I said to Je- I said to Jeff, I said, "Have Have you ever met Sergio?" He goes, "No, but I would love to." And I go, well, "Come on to dinner." He goes, "Think he'll mind?" And I go, "Nah, he nah, no, nah, it'll be fine." So then Sergio told us over dinner about his excursion to Antarctica. And uh, he said he was looking at some, some message board, and there was this thing about, um, you know, a, a trip to Antarctica, and they needed a cook. And he said, well, I can cook. <laughs> so he signed up to go to Antarctica. And I was like, God, no one I know except Sergio would have done that. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, we had Mark Evanier on. I think it was on our interview with him, but he talked about seeing Sergio across the street from the D.C. offices and just like, oh. of course, he just somehow manages to randomly run into Sergio because Sergio is that guy you would randomly just ran into on the streets. Uh, yeah, I remember in, in the, I forget what it's called, but when San Diego Comic-Con moved from the El Cortez and before it moved into the place where it's at right now, the, con- the big convention center, it was in this smaller convention hall thing. And next to it was this little deli and, and bar kind of thing, and they had one of those, those freezer unit things, right? And there were beers lined up on top and then inside. And the waitress comes over, <laughs> the girl comes over, and she goes, well, what do you want? Sergio goes, Start at that end, and then just keep bringing them until we pass out. <laughs> and, and she just kind of looked and like, oh, no, he's not kidding. Um, we were the only two people in the place at first. And um, he started drawing on napkins and just like throwing them over his shoulders. And I remember about after the first or while I was starting the second beer, I turned around and the whole place was filled. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> he's talking. He's telling stories. He's like, it's like, this is the most amazing guy you could possibly meet. And you like, you know, again, listening to that interview with him with uh, the cartoonist Kayfabe guys, like, there's just something about like the things he does. It's like, I've heard stories about Jim Steranko being like, you know, he did this, he did this. I feel like uh, Sergio is much more interesting than Steranko by a thousand percent like just some of the things i've heard i'm just like wow he was a mime he studied there's a like a famous actor he studied under in the 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 school the uh acting school sergio yeah and it's like yeah he also plays guitar and he sings hmm. and um yeah uh, <laughs> yeah he's an amazing guy um and also you don't get a sense when he's talking uh you don't get um a sense of self-aggrandizement from him. Um, he just he, he just says things matter-of-factly, and he does things kind of that way, you know? Um, 
I don't know anyone who doesn't admire him. Now, before we wrap this episode up, Jim, first off, how can people get a hold of you on social media? I'm just on Facebook. That's it. Um, and I only go on pretty much in the morning. Um, but, yeah, I'm just on Facebook. You were a fast replier that morning when I contacted you, by the way. I noticed that. That was, like, right in the morning on our end, too. I was probably into my second or third cup of coffee by that point. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> we're, we're coffee guys on this podcast. How do you take your yeah. coffee? Yeah, I just do mine in the morning, and that's it. You know, so it, it, it helps me ambulate, you know, get, get ambulatory. Uh, you a which, light roast, uh, a medium roast, dark roast kind of guy? Uh, it's it's a medium roast, and, and I just put a little bit of, of sweetener in it, and that's it. Um, but, yeah, I got the ambulatory thing from uh, um, Mark Hamill, who uh, told me once that, that um, he was an ambulatory nostalgia magnet for people. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is when you talk to him, like on the phone, you, you like have to stop yourself from saying, trust the force, Luke, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I would react to him laughing and just be like, wait, is he going to do a Joker laugh in a second? <laughs> so, All right, Jim. And before we go, also the official image timeline, how can people get their hands on that? Well, I think it's available on Comixology. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, it should be at your local um, comic book shop, which you should support. And um, I'm sure it's online in in places from either secondhand dealers or or whatever. So wherever you get comics, you should be able to get it. Very cool. Jim, it was an absolute honor, as always, to have you on, and that's why we brought you on. You're officially a Marvelist two-timer. <laughs> God. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm, I'm proud of that. Thank you. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Jim Valentino. And I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior.